What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Keeping Stock Sneaker Podcast. This week, we're going to go over the long debate. Is retail dying? Is brick and mortar on its way out? And discuss some of the statistics behind retail stores and why you should consider supporting your local boutiques, retailers, consignment shops, as times are difficult, but there is definitely ways that these brick and mortar stores are staying alive. In addition, we'll cover the recent announcement of Jordan Brand's upcoming fall releases and kind of go over those colorways. And then as always, cover some cool content from this week and upcoming releases. So with all that being said, let's get into it. Is brick and mortar dead? It's a debate that's raged on for a while since the rise of e-commerce in the internet, simply because you can buy sneakers anywhere. You can find them foot lockers, finish lines, dick sporting goods, online through various channels, Nike, sneakers, Adidas, independent retailers having their own websites, national sales, international sales. The competitive market is enormous. Put it this way, as of 2018, there's over 24,000 shoe stores in America alone. So that's 24,000 options to purchase sneakers. Yes, of those 24,000, only a certain percentage is going to have those releases that you're looking for or carrying Jordan brand. Some of those may be running stores. Some of those may be more athletic-based cleats, but still a huge amount of competition occurring. In addition, the industry's growth from 2014 to 2018 was down 1%, so it's definitely slowing down. And this is because you really have to differentiate yourself as a retailer. Because at the end of the day, when we look at the local level, regional, national, international level, you're going to find the same prices, the same selection of shoes, and it's really up to you as the consumer on how your relationship is with who you're buying from. Buying sneakers from the sneakers app, from the Nike website, from your local Foot Locker, and from your local consignment boutique retailer, it's always going to be the same shoe. It's all made in the same place and sold for the same, if not similar prices. So you really have to create a relationship to differentiate yourself. And then you also have to remember with brick and mortar physical retail locations is that the average profit margin appears to be around 35% to 50% on each shoe. And an example, if you aren't familiar with how that process works, Nike creates a shoe. Nike then sells that shoe in wholesale, a size run, to a retailer for $50. That retailer then charges you the suggested retail price of $100. So they've made $50 gross profit, the profit margin. However, that's for one pair of shoes. So that number can scale. And that's saying that things sell out immediately. They also have to factor in they're paying rent that comes out of that margin, payroll, insurance, utilities, marketing. And as I mentioned, one of the biggest detriments to independent retailers is sitting stock. Say you're a retailer and you get the most exciting shipment of the upcoming Oregon 5s that come out in the fall 
of 2020 and you're expecting them to sell out then you buy these hoping to see that profit come in relatively quickly. However, these turn out to be a dud as many retros have in the past and they sit on your shelves for weeks, months. They go to discount. Once they go to discount, you're eating at your profit margin. And that's the struggle of running, one of the struggles of running a retail business. So how does places like Kith, Undefeated, Dover Street Market, Nice Kicks, Lapstone and Hammer differentiate themselves? And that's through creating a brand, a location that's authentic and strategically different. If everyone was given the same storefront and everyone just put shoes on the wall, you wouldn't care where you bought your shoes from. There's no personal connection there. So you create a voice, you create an image of who you want to serve, what you represent, the type of products you hold in store, and then strategically, how you're placing yourself in the market. Are you placing yourself as a normal competitor to Foot Locker? Or are you more high-scale, high-fashion oriented? Or are you more so the sports bar type and sports memorabilia? Finding yourself in the market to at least differentiate a little bit so as a consumer, you can kind of start creating a relationship on those boundaries. And that starts creating true relationships. Not selling product, but just creating a relationship with the customer from the retail standpoint. What's the experience like once you enter the store on a day-to-day basis? Is it friendly? Is it upbeat? Is it in relation to the community? Is it knowledgeable? Is it the expertise, the selection of inventory, the music playing? All of these things encompass your relationship with a retailer. What's your brand identity? If there are three or four different people running your social media and the messaging is all over the place or your messaging is extremely corporate or extremely relaxed and these are clashing heads, as a consumer, you subconsciously notice that and may stay away. If you claim to be down with the sneaker community and involved as much as possible, but you're secretly backdooring your sneakers and you're not even trying to hide it, consumers are going to stop shopping there because they don't feel they have a fair chance at the product. They feel like they're being cheated out after spending hard-earned dollars with you for many years. It's those little things that can kill a brick-and-mortar retailer over time. When you look at these experiences in-store as well, what are you doing for unique releases or just creating that single moment that makes you connect to the store? We look at a case study. My local consignment shop is Index PDX or Index Portland. They are very minimal, relaxed, low-key. You know, they play hip-hop while you're in the store. They have the more expensive shoes behind the glass wall. It's kind of more of an art gallery feel, not a whole lot of apparel. And outside of consigning shoes, they're always cross-marketing with local companies. But my favorite thing is that they occasionally hold different social parties throughout the year when we're not social distancing in the midst of a global pandemic. But these sort of kickbacks allows you as a consumer even if you've never bought something with the store, to feel integrated into the community or with that store by going there, talking shop with other people, talking sneakers, talking 
pop culture, just shooting the shit, basically. And that's something, as a consumer, you want that connection with that retailer to feel valued, to feel integrated. In another example, we look at Bodega in Boston, right? First of all, entering the store, you wouldn't think it's a shoe store until you slide open the door and then it amasses to this giant secret retailer. One of those things that you aren't going to get at Foot Locker, Nike, or any other independent retailer because they've differentiated themselves. It's those little differences that you latch onto. As I'm speaking now, I'm sure you think of all your different retailer experiences, and there's ones that stand out that were a little bit more unique. Maybe it was a certain way they released the shoe. Maybe it was a certain style of marketing that they put in place. Maybe it's the way they hold their raffles. It's all those little things that add up to help retail and physical locations stay alive. Another thing we notice as consumers is community involvement. One of the boutiques and retailers that I've noticed that does a great push for their community is Lapstone and Hammer. I've never been in the store. I've never been to Philadelphia, but based on their brand identity, their messaging, the experience that's created through their visuals for their products and their release style, I've caught on with the brand. Further, they're always working with the local community for select capsules or projects that benefit individuals in that area. Whether it's using the heritage of the area of old shops in the area to create certain collections, working with kids, making raffles where if you donate, you enter the raffle. If not, you just go through the platform and read what cause they're helping. So at least you're informed and you still enter the raffle. It's those little things that make a difference and stand out from a consumer just going to Foot Locker, just going to Finish Line, that you feel ingrained with that company and that brand and that culture to go back and go back again. And it doesn't have to just be physical community involvement. How are they involved online? Do they look like they have great customer service? Are they strategically creating conversations? Are they engaging with their customers or potential customers? You notice all of those things. An example, when you're on Twitter, really the only time you notice StockX is when you see someone else complaining about the service and then them emailing, hey, shoot us an email. That's all the time you see, as opposed to some individual retailers. You see, hey, thanks for shopping with us, or check out this photo, or we're happy to have you in store, or replying through a thread. Those little things help you go the extra mile. Because in some cases, if you're not doing that, it could negatively impact your store, your sales, and how you move forward. And lastly, one of the big things, in my opinion, is simply just understanding consumer behavior. One of the biggest examples is your online presence. I know we're talking brick and mortar, but all brick and mortars have websites. Here are websites from 1990, and it's slow, it's outdated, it isn't updated often, it doesn't follow a traditional format. You notice that as a user. I may never go there, but I may judge you solely on your website. Or if I go into the store and I feel that I'm being rushed, I feel like I'm being judged, I feel like I'm being upsold frequently, that can create some conflict 
in the buying experience. These places that you see great success, as I mentioned, Kith, Undefeated, Dover Street Market, Bodega, those are places where you go shop. You don't feel pressured to purchase. You feel like you're given time, you're given space. You feel like they're inviting you to hang out, look around for a while. They aren't trying to jump on you as soon as you come in through the door all the way through your experience and just push you out to file in customers. They're just trying to make you comfortable. In addition, one of the often overlooked pieces is social media. At this point, if you aren't utilizing social media correctly, you're not going to be found. Or if your social media images are poorly taken, they're just stock photos. They're just going to look the same as Nike. Again, I look at my local store, Index. They take great, unique photos of the shoes in different environments. You can tell it's done by them, by the store. Yes, it's consignment, so these shoes are obviously unique, but it definitely has their feel, their style attached to it. Because when I see those photos on Nice Kicks, Soul Collector, Bleacher Report Kicks, etc., I know it's from Index. Same goes for the Sneaker Room in New Jersey. Same goes for Lapstone and Hammer. All of those little things amalgamate into how you view going into that location and wanting to spend your money or try to purchase a release from them. Because at the end of the day, as I mentioned in the beginning, you can buy shoes anywhere. And we've noticed in brick and mortar, those areas that aren't evolving and staying up to times are dying. And I think in the grander scheme of things, brick and mortar is dying. However, I think the brick and mortar locations that are taking the opportunity to differentiate themselves on all levels, create that story, create that relationship, that unique experience are thriving more than ever. And so I encourage you, if your local shop has created an impact on you positively, you've created that relationship, to look there before looking to Foot Locker, before looking at Nike.com, Adidas.com, to help and purchase from your local stores because they're the ones at the end of the day who care more about you than Nike does. Nike can pick up any customer anytime. Your local retailer only has a select local market. May move, you know, nationally, but that local market is really what helps transcends. So I hope this was informative about the brick and mortar debate of if it's dying, if it's not. Final answer, it's dying, but Those who are doing it right are making a killing. And I think that's how we'll see it moving forward. I think brick and mortar will always be around, maybe not in the same capacity as five years ago, 15 years ago, but there will be those shops that are sticking through it all, putting out quality product, creating these authentic relationships that we'll see for years to come. So now we're going to quickly take a look at the upcoming Jordan brand fall 2020 releases in my initial reaction. I've only seen one or two of these colorways, so this will kind of be a more raw reaction to the colorways, but let's get started. We get to see the Air Jordan 1 High OG Smoke Gray. These just look like a general release union as it's primarily gray with a red strap where the Jordan logo is. I'll probably pass on these. I do like when they try to make more limited releases more general, but this one just feels very low effort. 
Then we see the Air Jordan 1 High OG Satin Snake. This reminds me of the Jordan 1.5s from a couple years ago. It's cool that they're using, again, other materials in a similar Chicago colorway. Not a huge snake print fan. It looks a little too glossy in these photos for me. The Air Jordan 1 High OG Biohack. I think these are going to be sleepers. I personally am not a huge fan, but I could see these really moving a bit quicker than people are expecting. It is just a very unique colorway that you don't see very often in a Jordan 1, and the color blocking is different than other models. And that is why I could see some going after this one a bit more than the others. Then we have an Air Jordan 1 High OG Co.JP Metallic Silver that's only releasing in Japan from what I've read. These are going to sell out. I think they'll hit a decent amount on the secondary market if that's what you're interested in. I mean, it's basically an all silver shoe, super minimal, but still keeps that classy look and is in reference to the original colorway that released in Japan in 2001. And I wouldn't be surprised if it does end up making a global return, seeing that this was so hyped back in 2001. Then we see the Air Jordan 6 in a woman's colorway. Not bad, primarily neutral with gray and dark gray on the Jordan 6 with a Jordan hang tag. Then we see this is a, a good colorway. I haven't seen this one yet. It's the Air Jordan 3 woman's laser orange. Basically the white cement with what looks to be yellow, but they're calling laser orange on the hits that would normally be black. I like this shoe. Uh, I'm glad to see women are getting a colorway that isn't bright pink or bright purple and it is very similar to original colorways. I think this one will go fast. Air Jordan 3s always do. That's the laser orange colorway. Then we have the Air Jordan 3 denim. Not a fan. Don't like this clear pull tab. Kind of reminds me of a infrared Jordan 3. To each is their own, I suppose. Not for me. Then we have the Air Jordan 5 Oregon Ducks. Yep, I'll be going for that one. As someone who lives in Oregon, I'll definitely be trying to grab these. I think they're unique. I think the color blocking is simple enough to pull off in a few different outfits. They'll probably be hard to get following that Oregon hype from the Oregon PE, but I'll try my best. The Air Jordan 12 University Gold. Think of the flu games, but with University Gold on the toe or this kind of yellow. Once again, I think these will do well. Simple colorway following the original standards and helps diversify the colorways available. Then we see another Jordan 12 Indigo Blue, which these remind me of the Obsidians. Apparently the Indigo is supposed to wipe off, which was a cool concept. I don't think everyone really fawns over as much as they used to. Uh, I think these will do all right. I don't see them selling out instantly, maybe sitting for a little while. Then followed up by the Air Jordan 13 Lucky Green. Not a huge 13 guy, but this is a solid colorway. I would personally prefer the wheats over these basically the wheats but you're switching the wheat color for the green or similar to the cherry 13s switching the red for green and then the air jordan 14 hyper royal depending on the quantity i think these 14s are going to sit typically 14s do besides these toros that came out recently or last shot kind of og colorways or ferraris but for the most part the 14s sit and that's the fall releases. Like I said, the one I will be interested in is that Oregon Duck 5. Go ahead and let me know which of those releases you're interested in. 
by hitting me up on social. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll get into cool content and upcoming releases. Keeping Stock can be found on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Stitcher, and much more. Make sure to like us, favorite, or rate us on your favorite podcast platform, along with following Keeping Stock. That way you can be notified each and every Sunday when a new episode is uploaded, and you're in touch for the newest content, potential giveaways, and interviews. So make sure to follow us on your favorite platform. Let's share some positive, cool content. I think that is astounding, is what Maya Moore did recently. She helped free Jonathan Irons and overturn his conviction on charges of burglary and assault. And the craziest thing to me is that she sacrificed her 2019 WNBA season. And if you don't know, that's similar to LeBron taking a season off or Kobe, Giannis, MJ to fight for justice and put yourself and your voice to a platform that can be heard. And it worked out. You love to see athletes fight for what they believe in. And it is, I think, inspiring in the first snowball to cue an avalanche of more athletes who are going to work on these and educate themselves in politics and wrongdoings in their communities to transcend their sports and their use their gifts and the fame that they've been given to make these type of justices and voices be heard. And the other end, what LeBron is doing with more than a vote is sensational. It's hard to trump LeBron's career, but what he's doing is, I think, going to be much bigger in the grand scheme of things when we look back at it. I mean, he's already started a school, and then this more than a vote campaign is going to potentially change voting for the future. He's lobbying to have professional arenas uses voting sites to prevent voter suppression from occurring any longer. We all saw the story of Kentucky suppressing voters and pushing 600,000 primarily African Americans to go out of their counties to vote, to have the door shut on them. So having these arenas ability to hold a mass capacity and efficiently allow people their right to vote is outstanding. Regardless of what you believe in or what you vote for, this is great for everyone. It makes it efficient. You don't have to wait in lines. Your voice can be heard. More people of your party can vote on either side. It makes a fair voting system. And at the end of the day, the more fair and equal we can make, the better the outcome will be for the country. So with that, we're going to take a look at upcoming releases for July 5th through July 11th. Starting with the Air Jordan 5 alternate grape. It's got that purple suede upper, the black midsole with the teal turquoise spikes on the midsole, clear outsole. Not for me. I would like, one of the biggest regrets I have is not picking up the black grape fries. If they do retro, I'll pick up another pair or not another pair, my first pair, because I really like that colorway. I'm not a huge fan of the fire reds or the original grapes, a little too much white leather for me, but I love my black metallics, and I wouldn't mind picking up a pair of black grape fives, but if you're into this, this comes out on July 7th. We also see on July 9th the Air Jordan 11 Low, i.e. black cement, 
These, to me, have always been glorified referee shoes. Not a bad colorway, not a bad cross trainer at the gym type shoe. You know my feelings about it. 11 lows, I hate them. The IE gives it a little bit of texture and difference, but still not so much for me. It is a little bit more mid-cut, but still can't sell it even with the black cement look. That comes out on July 9th for $170. Following that up, we have the Air Jordan 11 Low Women's Concord. Not for me. Very simple. White with the Concord purple patent leather. Clear outsole. Once again, not for me, but in woman sizing. So best of luck there. We also get the Air Zoom Type Summit White, which looks very bulky, but they're really pushing this new Zoom technology, the Zoom AirPods in the forefoot. We'll see what the results are like once people start having these on feet, but I'm not sold. It just looks like it's adding quite a bit of height and a little bit of weight to the sneaker. Maybe if I get to a outlet or a store where they have them and I can try them on after all this, I'll give you an accurate judgment, but from the looks, just not for me. We will also see the Air Jordan 1 Retro High OG Bloodline 2.0. Bloodlines were all right the first time out. Uh, pretty accessible. Turn, a lot of people turn them into customs. You'll be able to do the same with this 2.0 in a Chicago-esque colorway. We also see a Yeezy 700 minivan, moon van in the bone colorway. Looks like a NASCAR, the number on the side. That comes out on July 11th, though, for $220. Not my cup of tea. I'm sure they'll sell out. That's the upcoming releases. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I love the feedback so far and interacting with you guys on different social media platforms. I really enjoyed your guys' feedback to last week's episode, episode 31, about summertime shoes and some of the agreements, disagreements. One of the big ones I saw that I missed out on was the Sakai Waffle Trainers. Uh, yeah, I don't know how I missed out on that one. A great shoe, if you can get your hands on it and obtain it. Some people said multicolor, some people said triple white. Either or, I can't be mad at it if you can obtain the shoe or find it. And that was last week's episode. With that being said, I thank you guys for listening, and I'll catch you next week.